And it's so interesting because as a middle school girl, you're so self-conscious. You walk around going like, I don't look like everybody. I don't sound like everybody. Like there's, there's something different about me. And when you lean into that, that's exactly the thing that will make you who you're meant to be. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited to share our guest with you today because she is amazing, and her name is Joanne Pasternak. She's a dynamic and visionary philanthropic impact strategist who over the past two decades has galvanized community engagement with internationally recognized brands, including the Golden State Warriors, San Francisco 49ers Service Now, City of Mountain View, and the Special Olympics. As the president and chief impact officer of Oliver and Rose, she works with professional athletes, legends, entertainers, philanthropists, corporate executives, and high net worth individuals who amplify their impact to inspire change around the areas of passion, commitment, and expertise. She's the co-founder and president of Athletes Voices an Immerse certification program for elite professional athletes seeking to amplify their voices on issues of social impact. Joanne, I cut your bio short and I, I could have talked about it I for another 20 that, minutes. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, welcome to the Daily Helping, Joanne. It is awesome to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I'm so excited to be here, even through the chaos of all the different things we're balancing every day. Um, I always know that I can find my center when I get to talk to you. Well, I appreciate that uh, beyond words. And so what I want to do with you, and I do this with everybody, as you know, is I love to kind of peel back the layers of the onion. I want to jump in the Joanne Pasternak time machine. You're doing some unbelievable things in the world, but I'm curious as to what put you on your journey. You know, I've, I've been thinking a lot lately about sliding doors. When you make a choice or you make another choice and how that leads you down a path, And I I think it's important to step back and reflect on that because my journey isn't what I thought it would be, but it's exactly what it should have been all along, I guess. Many, many, many years ago, and I'm going to take you back really far here, Dr. Richard, but I was in a really bad car accident when I was five years old. And that, that car accident left me with a number of injuries, including limited use of my right arm. And I was told back then that there were many activities I couldn't do. When you tell a firstborn, redheaded, left-handed, spunky girl that she is not allowed to do stuff, it usually drives it deeper into like, well, how can I work around that? How can I figure out a way to get through it? So that actually took me on a journey to find figure skating, which transformed the way I looked at myself, as well as how I was able to build out my leadership abilities and my leadership voice. I'm going to take you way forward now about... 20 years-ish, when I, after I graduated law school, where I focused on public interest law, 
I started a career with the Special Olympics at their global headquarters in Washington, D.C. And through that role, I was able to see the power of voices. And particularly when you listen carefully to the voices that have been marginalized and you provide an open forum, an open door, or like you do, a podcast where they can speak and share their thoughts authentically, it's incredible how transformative that can be for an organization. So leveraging that after a few years in city government, where I saw the connective power of community engagement through police activities leagues and community programming, I had the opportunity to join the San Francisco 49ers, where I built up and built out the community relations department, later took on their 501c3 nonprofit, the 49ers Foundation, and elevated in that role for about nine years. I was there, had incredible experiences, built a stadium, was on the front lines as Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, and Eli Harold were taking a knee and the world was kind of sitting up and, and trying to listen, and then transitioned over to the Golden State Warriors, where I had a similar role, and it was a similar time in the history of the organization. They were building a new arena. And when you put a new footprint in, people expect you to stand for something. And in both those organizations, I was able to uh, be in a leadership role to manage that journey and, and be a part of it. So I've worked with some of the biggest names in sport. I uh, left sport for a very brief time to create global impact strategy for a $10 billion software firm. But sports was calling me back because there is no other place where you can make a bigger difference via a platform where people are listening to what you say, watching what you do, copying what you do, than the world of sports. It just has this incredible connectivity. So I launched my own firm, Oliver Rose, two and a half years ago and haven't looked back since, um, and simultaneously launched the um, Athletes Voices program, which I'm sure we'll get into more later, but at the core of all of this is authenticity in our voices. Interesting. I, I remember famously Charles Barkley had this big campaign with Nike saying he's not a role model, um, mm -hmm. but but athletes are. Like, it doesn't matter well, and even what they saying say. I'm not right. a role model is making you a role model, right? <laughs> you're just, you're modeling like role model. And that's the thing is um, we use role model as a positive, but there can be a pejorative as well, as well within that space. What you're doing will be replicated. And I say this to athletes all the time, whether you like it or not, people are watching you. Kids, adults alike are replicating or mimicking the behavior that you're showing. So when Charles Barkley says, I'm not a role model, he's saying to the general public, like, Nobody needs to be held accountable, including me. But in reality, he was being held accountable. So how do you how do you manage that? And that's what I do with athletes. And so I'm curious, you know, you said that sports was calling you back. Um, mm -hmm. What was it that, you know, the just the nature of sports and that it is this place where, you know, kind of the worlds of, you know, what's going on politically and socially are kind of converging uh, was that the pull? Was it, you know, the pull of you know, what's going on in the world? Like what specifically made you say to this software company, thanks, but no thanks. And we brought you back into the world <laughs> yeah. of sports. It was, and you know, financially, that wasn't the smartest decision I've ever made in my life, but from a heart space, absolutely. No, it's, it's the connective tissue that is thread throughout sport. You um, can trace your fandom back to those you admired growing up and why they were fans of specific teams. Very often, if you ask somebody, why are you a fan of the San Francisco 49ers? They'll say, well, 
my dad was, my grandpa was, my great aunt, you know, they, they list people in their lives who have been fans. They may point out a specific athlete. I loved watching Joe Montana play. I was really inspired by Joe Nedney and his kicking abilities. Like it, it could be anything, but they thread back to that. But then even more importantly, when you're in an arena or a stadium and your team scores or wins, you turn to the people to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you, you're high-fiving, you're fist bumping, you're pre-COVID, you're hugging. Um, you've never met these people. You have no idea what car they drive, what their income is, what degrees they have. And by the way, you don't care because what you have in common is the love of the team and the sport. That is really, really unique. And it's unique because it can be a jumping off point for points of connectivity that extend well beyond the seats of a stadium. I, I had this amazing professor when I was an undergraduate at University of Pennsylvania, uh, Dr. Marty Seligman, who talked about points of connectivity and, and how we find not just acquaintances, but friends and life mates. And it's through those micro moments. And that's what I see in sports. The other thing is when you're in a locker room or you're on the field, you're looking at a disparate group of people who need to figure out how to communicate and work together to achieve a goal that is very, very clear cut. You need to move the ball to the goal line. You need to kick the ball. Whatever it is, you need to flawlessly complete whatever your program is. But it's it's something that's more finite, measurable, and where you have a beginning, a middle, and an end that goes pretty quickly. So when you're looking for sustained impact through corporate social responsibility, it's hard to know when you started, where you're going, and when you can check the box and say, oh, look what we've achieved. But within sports, we can celebrate together when we get to the end of the game and the outcome is what we hoped it would be. We can commiserate when the outcome isn't what we hoped it could be. And then we just kind of get up and know that we have another chance the next day or the next week. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Now, I love what you're saying. In fact, uh, many years ago, I was interviewed by NBC, and they were asking me a lot of what you're talking about, what happens to our brain when we watch football. And so... What you're describing actually has a neurological underpinning, and we have these things in our brains called mirror neurons that are always kind of scanning the environments for sameness. And so the example you gave of fist bumping and pre-COVID hugs and high fives, like that happens in an arena with strangers. But if you took those two same people and put them on a subway, you know, they wouldn't make eye contact unless they were absolutely forced to do so. So I think, you know, this analogy that that sports truly, and I'm using your words, and I hope I'm not butchering them, is this connective fabric, connective tissue that can bring people together. So I absolutely love that. And I, and I think it makes 
total sense. And it, but I'm curious about something. You know, you work you work with some of you know, the most well known professional athletes, and and not just athletes, but people who are you know well known in in other areas. It's interesting when there are people who have everything. You know, they have fame. They have you know money is as abundant as air. You know, to many of these athletes, if they manage their money responsibly, but but they many of them have enough, right? So, have you found? Because I've always been curious about this. Do athletes intrinsically like? Do they get excited? And I know I'm generalizing, but are they getting excited about truly helping people on the whole, or do you find that? You know how much of it is well. You know, here's a here's a tax deduction if I have a five hundred one c three. Like, what does that look like in your world? Well, that's the the latter, the five hundred one c three. I actually, if I use my law degree for anything, it's to convince athletes not to create their own five hundred one c threes and instead to align with fiscal partners and donor advised funds so that they can focus on what they do best, which is amplifying a cause. So we aren't looking for the tax write off per se. What we're looking for is that feeling of connectivity again. Now. It's very isolating to be a professional athlete. It's also a very finite amount of time when you get to call yourself a professional athlete and very quickly you become a retired athlete or a legend or something. You know, they come up with all different terms that try to make it sound like, you know, euphemisms that will make it sound less like you are no longer allowed to do what you've done best your whole life. And by the way, it's the only thing you've ever used to define yourself. What we enjoy seeing is that philanthropy can be a bridge towards whatever their next move or their next career might be. The average NFL career is three to four years generously, but it's, you think about Olympians, Paralympians, uh, they're working as hard as anybody harder. And there's no guarantee that they'll reach the apex of their sport. And they probably aren't going to be able to make a living off of it afterwards either. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we create connections between what we've done as athletes and what we hope to do with the rest of our lives? And I've found that philanthropy is the perfect way to do that because number one, you do feel good. When you talk about endorphins, you talk about just the way that the way you feel when you make somebody smile and you can do so with such ease, even at the most horrible times in their lives. I have been with athletes I'll give a very specific example. And I remember her so well. There was a young woman named Daphne who had a terminal brain brain tumor. Um, She asked to postpone surgery that could have taken her life because she wanted to watch the 49ers play in the NFC championship game. She was a huge fan. Unfortunately, the 49ers did not win the game, but Ms. Daphne had, through somebody, reached out to us and her father said, you know, she really would just like a shout out, like a a hi, you know, we're thinking about you, Daphne. Well, the guys did more than that. I ended up going to Stanford Children's Hospital with three athletes that day. And I remember specifically Bruce Miller, Josh Morgan were there with us. And um, we were in the room and Daphne was laughing and joking around. She was a gymnast, Bruce knew Nastia Lukin through somebody, made a phone call, got Nastia on the phone to talk to her. And we were there for probably 45 minutes and it was all smiles the entire time. We left. Josh remembered that he had something that he wanted to give to her. So go back to the room. The family is standing around Daphne, standing around Daphne. And um, 
and they kind of look up and and they say they were they were gathered around in prayer and they said you know for 45 minutes we forgot about what we're going through right now we just had our daphne back and you know daphne actually passed away about 48 hours after that visit but i've never forgotten her i mean this is many 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 years coincidentally my mother bumps into somebody they exchange names person says are you related to joanne pasternak yeah i'm her mom well she visited my daughter with a bunch of athletes from the Niners. And that was the last time we saw Daphne smile. So that's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's like a moment that stays with you, stays with the family. One of the elements we talk about, and you ask, why do they do this? I'll say to athletes sometimes like this thing, this visit you did, or this hand you shook, or the picture you drew with a kid, like that's one of many you'll do, but it might be the thing that they treasure most and they might hang it up on their wall. So while you have their attention, while you have that moment, what are you going to do with it? While there are some contractual obligations that create moments of philanthropy involving athletes, the vast majority are absolutely by choice. And they are doing it because they, as athletes, and again, I'm making generalization now, but you want to be known for more than what you do at work. I mean, we all do. And if you think about playing the sport as their work, and then extrapolate from that, like, well, what do you do after work? What do you do to feel like a full human, a whole human? Where is a place where you can be appreciated just for showing up and also for smiling and for making somebody's day a little brighter? And uh, that's in the world of, of philanthropy. So what we did, you know, the Niners at the Warriors, we would, I always approach athletes as individual humans with likes, dislikes, and causes that are aligned with them. And so if you ask somebody, what is the thing that gets you moving, gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your why? What's your, you know, why are you showing up? And you dig deep enough, you'll figure out the types of events that will be most motivating, most connective for them. So in that situation, we're saying, okay, so you're you're doing events, we can do any events, but you were benef- you benefited from an alignment with a boys and girls club when you were growing up. Would you like to go back to a boys and girls club and share that story and give back to this place that gave you so much? That feels really, really good. So we're trying to make those personal connections as well. I imagine in the the case with, with Daphne, obviously, is like, you know, kind of an extreme example mm-hmm. and, and amazing that you got to hear about the ripple effects of that. Yeah. All those years later, because that almost never happens. Right. You, right. You know? But I wonder if there's any examples top of, top of mind with some of the athletes you're working with now that have maybe had some, some kind of similarly impactful stories that you'd be able to share. Oh, gosh, they happen every day. I mean, it's 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 hard to even put it into words. Um, recently, I, I work very closely with Patrick Willis. He's a linebacker, one of the greatest linebackers of all time. And in my estimation, one of the greatest people, humans. I absolutely adore him. We recently went back to his hometown in Brewston, Tennessee, which is in the middle of Tennessee, like literally drop a pin in the middle of DC, of DC, of uh, Tennessee. You're going to have, it's equidistant pretty much from Memphis and Nashville. So you're driving three hours, no matter what, to get there. Once you get there, there's a sign that when you drive in, that says home of NFL legend, Patrick Willis. So there's some pressure when you get to this town. I think the population is somewhere around 2000, but Patrick wanted to go back home to put in a fitness zone 
um, in, in partnership with Greenfields, which he wanted to do that because the place where he felt most free, most, most unburdened was on the playground when he was growing up, despite learning differences, despite challenges at home. If you get on monkey bars, if you get on a swing, you can feel that sense of freedom. And he wanted to bring that to the kids in the community. So while no national television stations were showing up to cover this, while it wasn't a million dollar investment, it was something that connected back to the place where he was brought up and where his heart remains. And for me, kind of standing back and watching how the town was reacting to the fact that he had come back to do this was really amazing and heartwarming. But the coolest moment was the night before we did the ribbon cutting on the fitness zone, Patrick was able to, to treat uh, the superintendent, head of schools, you know, all these different elected officials and others to a dinner at a, at a restaurant. And as we're, as we were completing the dinner, the owner of the restaurant comes up and says, uh, you know, he has the bill basically. And Patrick's like, that's me. Takes the bill, takes care of it. And then I said to him, as we were leaving, like, you just took the whole, like all the leaders of your town out to dinner. And he's kind of like, huh, like, look at that. And that becomes part of the story because when you think about somebody who was raised a mile down a dirt road, ran to the bus every morning where people had expectations that were far below what he was capable of achieving. And here he is taking all of the town leaders out for dinner at the fanciest restaurant within 25 miles of Brewston he felt lifted up in that moment. And he conveyed that the next day at the ribbon cutting, which was when you believe in yourself and you believe in your strength and you build yourself up, you can go so far, but never forget where you come from and come back home. You know, his roots are bruised in, his heart's bruised in, but he's, it was, it was an amazing, amazing journey to be there with him and to be able to see that unfold. But that's also a macro moment. I mean, there are micro moments every single day, every day. and. Um, it's hard for me to even pinpoint them because they're always happening. I I love the story. And, you know, I, I want to capture, if I could capture what you just said and put it on a bumper sticker, that would be so awesome. You'd be, you know, <laughs> That'd be a long bumper sticker. It'd be a long bumper sticker. We'd have to use <laughs> yeah. really small font, but it, but it was so yeah. well said. <laughs> I need to get a bigger car. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take a few moments and give you space to talk about athletes' voices. So uh, what was the impetus for creating this? And then we'll talk about it. Athletes' voices stemmed from a bunch of different experiences. I mentioned Special Olympics. And it's interesting because it it threads back to Special Olympics and a connection point with the chief inspiration officer for Special Olympics and a woman named Loretta Claiborne. There's a movie about Loretta's life produced by Disney. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie, but it doesn't really encompass the greatness of Loretta. Loretta is a Special Olympics athlete. She's run upwards of 50 marathons. She's exceeded all expectations. She was literally left on a doorstep at birth and uh, was not expected, nor did people put any sort of pressure on her that she would be something, whatever something would be. But when I was at Special Olympics, Loretta was part of a meeting where we were talking about um, going before Congress and talking about healthcare access and benefits for individuals who had intellectual disabilities, but were aging out of their parents' healthcare plans. And what does that look like? And uh, executives have been planning to address Congress, but 
Loretta was like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. And, and I, I remember being there and watching as she shared her own story in her own way without being overly scripted. She just spoke from the heart, how it transformed the vision that the members of Congress had about what they were doing and how they needed to vote. If you take that forward to moments like when Colin, Eric, and Eli were taking a knee prior to the NFL games, and it was being misconstrued because there wasn't a chance to talk about why and what and what the desired outcomes were, um, then move into the Warriors where you have uh, one of my colleagues there, Stephon Curry, you may have heard of him. He, we, he was speaking at Media Day and it led to us being uninvited from the White House. And instead of taking a negative in all three of these situations I'm mentioning, it was how can we elevate our voice? What can we do to seize the moment? How can we create something positive that people can follow? So talking about role modeling, again, Loretta, Eric, Colin, Eli. Now let's go over to, you know, where we are with the Warriors and Stefan. But right around that time, I had an opportunity to go to, the, to Italy, to the Vatican, where there was a convening of 200-ish people who were all executives or leaders in sport. And we spent three days together talking about the ways that sport could enhance humanity and create connections. Over a glass of wine one night, because that's when all the best conversations happen outside of the confines of the Vatican, somebody looked at me and said, well, what's it really like at the 49ers right now? And I found myself saying, you know, I wish we could press the pause button, build out what the strategy was, and then move forward with how we're going to articulate this moment in time and what it means to help populations that have been marginalized to open doors, rise up, all that. Well, that was the start of Athletes' Voices, which its entire purpose is to showcase that athletes can and should be part of any conversation. And that when you elevate the voices of athletes, the impact is exponential because one athlete saying one thing, and I've seen this in action as I've done visits to juvenile hall, as I've gone in so many different places and spaces with athletes, a teacher can say something a hundred times. A parent can say something a million times. The juvenile detention officer can say something but when an athlete walks in and says, hey, this is my experience, again, they're a role model. People listen. So the premise for Athletes Voice was to create an immersive program where athletes from all different sports could center around what their primary purpose was for philanthropic impact, social impact, build out a strategy to put that out into the world, and then to help propel them towards opportunities to speak and share that message with others. So that's how it began. I never anticipated it would morph into what it's become, which is a consortium of over a hundred athletes, all of whom are coming from different backgrounds and have different causes they're supporting, but who are excited to be able to share their voice and hopefully move something forward within that. So we have Olympic and Paralympic athletes. We have um, extreme sports we have NFL, NBA, WNBA, fencers, all of the above. If you are at the highest levels of your sport, we're thrilled to have you join us and figure out how we can bring you together with other like-minded athletes to amplify voices. Love this. This is awesome. And it's funny, you know, you, you said you wouldn't have really imagined what it's evolved into, but you know, you 
that's the beauty of this. You And again, to use a, a term I spoke about 20 minutes ago, the ripple effect, right? You started this thing, circumstances at the time led you to get together and you had your glass of wine in Vatican City and look where we are now. So uh, very oh, cool. <laughs> very cool. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Hebrew words to like harken back to my grandparents and, you know, just a lot of the teachings they provided for me, but there's a word beshert, which means it's meant to be. And I think about that all the time. It happens all the time. I mean, it's it's funny because that's a little bit how I look at this program. So for example, during the height of uh, the resurgence of COVID last winter, um, my family and I were at one of the pop-up COVID testing locations, just standing there. It happened to be raining. We were all trying to hover, but not hover too close to anybody under a canopy while we were waiting to get our test. There's a woman there. She's wearing a sweatshirt that says Stanford soccer. Like, hmm, interesting. Tall, athletic looking young woman. Well, we start through our mass having a conversation. It turns out that she had actually played uh, soccer for Princeton, had played internationally, and was looking for ways that she could continue to be involved with sport. But now she's in law school at Stanford. Well, she's now a member of our Athlete Advisory Council because it turns out that she has an amazing voice. She has a father who is originally from China. Her mother is African-American. And she was trying to find where she fit into the world. And an athlete's voices was a place where she felt like she could lean in and start to think about where her career could take her. So why did I pick that one spot to go get the COVID test? Why were we hovering under that canopy at that moment? Why was she wearing that sweatshirt? and Probably most importantly, why did I strike up a random conversation with a stranger while wearing a mask and waiting for a COVID test? Perhaps my common sense should be put to test there, but I, I think one of the other elements of voices is like you have one, use it. And I, I use the term voices very broadly. One of our um, most influential participatory uh, athletes in our program is a woman named Jen Southall, who has played for the um, Deaf Olympics ice hockey team, USA um, Deaf Olympics ice hockey team. She's also a member of the Women's National Football Conference Tackle Football League. She speaks exclusively using American Sign Language. And I hear her voice. I hear her voice loud and clear because we're stopping to take the time to leverage the tools that enable me to hear her and her to hear me. So I think about that a lot. You know, it's, it's, are we telling people there's only one way to speak? Are we making assumptions based on somebody's accent or they're not using audible speech? And so how can athletes' voices bridge that gap and introduce them to each other? So that's part of the fun. I love this. I love this. Joanne, as I knew that it would, our time together has been wonderful, but it has flown by. Uh, as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests, this is one single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Well, you know, I've heard some of your guests in the past. You've been very profound. Um, I'm going to say something that's really, really simple, but has had the greatest impact on me. When I was growing up, the thing that I hated most about myself is the exact thing that makes me memorable, unique, stand out in a crowd. And that's this super curly reddish hair. Um, 
And it's so interesting because as a middle school girl, you're so self-conscious. You walk around going like, I don't look like everybody. I don't sound like everybody. Like there's, there's something different about me. And when you lean into that, that's exactly the thing that will make you who you're meant to be. And I see that with my athletes all the time, going back to Loretta Claiborne, Colin, Steph. I mean, they're not thinking about how to fit in. They're embracing the fact that they stand out. So that's the, that's the message I would give was just figure out that thing that you've been most self-conscious about. Go back to when you were 12 years old. And that thing is probably what's going to make you stand out and, and stand out in a positive way. Beautifully said. Joanne, tell us where people can find out more about you and all the things you're doing online. Well, if you're super engaged in wanting to find out more about me, um, yeah, I can tell you some better things to do with your time. But uh, <laughs> LinkedIn at Jay Pasternak, that's Pasternak, N-A-C-K. But really check out Athletes Voices. That's that's my heart. That's my passion project. Athletes Voices, that's plural, .org. We're on um, Twitter and on Instagram at Athletes Vox, V-O-X, and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Athletes Voices. So join us for one of our webinars. Uh, come to one of our convenings. We'd love to have all different types of athletes represented and all types of industry leaders and influencers. Because if you have a voice, we're here to help you use it. I love it. And we'll have everything Joanne Pasternak linked in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. Well, again, Joanne, I loved our chat today. Thanks so much for coming on The Daily Helping. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Dr. Richard. Absolutely. And I also want to take this time to thank each and every one of you who listened to this episode. If you like what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find our show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. <laughs>